and welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show was presented to you by Gasowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our new website at gasowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Millie Bombush, and we're talking about helping mom and dad pay their bills as they age, solutions from joint accounts to conservatorships. And now it's time to introduce our guests. We're pleased to have with us today Vivian M. Wright, president of Common Sense Solutions, Inc., and Tim Curtin, president of the Curtin Law Firm. I'd like to ask you each to give a, a brief overview to us of yourselves and your practice. Let's start with you, Vivian. Thanks, Millie. It's wonderful to be with you guys today. Um, Common Sense Solutions builds solutions for clients who need or want help with their personal affairs, from paying bills to um, reconciling checkbooks and that kind of thing. We, um, we customize a solution for each one of our clients based on their needs. And Tim, tell us about your practice. Good morning, Millie and Craig. Thanks for having me. I am an attorney in Atlanta. I've been a practicing attorney for over 20 years with a concentration in estate planning and estate administration. I have also served as a court-appointed attorney for proposed wards in guardianship and conservatorship proceedings in Fulton County, Georgia. We all face the situation where our clients and our parents are getting older and slow down in a variety of ways. Um, sometimes physically, that's kind of the first step. And sometimes we see short-term memory going, which is kind of a normal step. But at some point, our parents and our clients need help. It's difficult because they don't, most of our people in my, my parents' generation are very private about finances and how things happen. But now for the first time, they need help. So what are some of the areas that y'all are seeing, and, and we'll start with Vivian, where your clients start to need help. Where are the areas they, they first start to need help in? I think the first area that we've seen is organization. Um, they don't know where a, a lot of their financial information is located. They don't know which uh, legal documents they need to have on hand. So we start with a checklist with our clients and make sure that they have those important documents and help them organize their finances so that when we, um, they are in need of some greater assistance, we have everything ready and, and ready to set go. And, and let's, 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 let's pick up on that. You said, so it's ready to go. That suggests to me that you're starting to make these lists earlier on than perhaps most of our clients are thinking about. That's the key is being proactive. Um, I think you've got to think through your parent situation You've got to think through your own situation, your own time management, and figure out how best you can support your parents and be proactive with um, those things that you know they're going to need in the future. And Tim, when you're looking at clients and dealing with these situations and thinking about being proactive, who are the ones who come to you first? Is it generally the elderly people who recognize they need help, or is it their children who are saying, mom and dad are going to need some help soon? That's a good question, Millie. In my experience, it's typically the adult child who, who comes to me and recognizes a, a need that their parent or parents have. And uh, unfortunately, it's, 
typically when I'm involved, it's a situation where something has has already gone amiss or there's a perception that something has has gone amiss. So let's start earlier on. So if we were proactive and we were able to actually get our parents to both talk about the subject and actually respond without getting mad, we would want to try to list where their financial documents are, go through a checklist. Would we also want to keep like medicines and doctor's names and insurance agents, or is that something that's a little different? Well, at our company, we always, um, we love checklists. I'm a checklist queen. Um, we've learned through the years to have a to have all of the medications listed and available. So if there is an emergency, you can just grab both your health care power of attorney, your list of medication, and the list of doctors um, that serve you. Um, and it's just, it's very, we, we have them put that together and sometimes have it on the refrigerator or near, on a, in a cabinet near the door. So you can just grab it and and take off when that crisis happens. How do you how do you advise um, the adult children to start having discussions with their parents about starting these checklists or getting organized? Right, it, it's a tough subject. Um, you know, family family dynamics are very very difficult. I would I would just you know ask people to remember that you know your parents raised you, they guided you. They help develop your um, your childhood and into adulthood, and to be respectful of your parent and remember at all times to maintain their level of dignity. Try not to overstep um, their privacy. I think if you take small steps and start having um, very casual conversations and then escalate that as the need continues, that you're going to have a better chance of success. A lot of times I find when I meet people that are aging that they're they're covering, so to speak, that they're not really wanting to admit the problems, and that makes it them uh, much more resistant to wanting to talk about it. So, so, Tim, they come to you earlier. You're seeing a client, a longstanding client, and they're having problems with their parents, and their parents are a little resistant to just talking about it at all. They get angry quicker or they change the subject. How do you help them talk to their parent. Vivian made some excellent points. It's not something that an adult child can swoop in on and take over. A lot of the adult children are successful in their own right, and they are problem solvers. And they have to remember that they're dealing with their parents, and there is a certain dynamic going on. And it's not something that can be solved immediately. To Vivian's point, it's something that has to be a gradual process. Uh, maybe start with a healthcare directive. Maybe become involved with the doctor's appointments. If you see your parents declining, try to use technology. Get get your parents on FaceTime. Put your eyes on them if you if you live outside of the state from your parents. Try to maintain that consistent contact with your parents so you could really identify when there's an issue that needs to be addressed. I heard something on the radio yesterday that I thought was brilliant because I had lived through my mom very ill for a long period of time. And I'm a lawyer. I'm used to cross-examining, taking notes. I'm pretty good at that. But when I went to the doctor, I couldn't I couldn't understand it all and, and digest it all in time. And somebody suggested that you record your doctor's visits, either on your iPhone or whatever, and share them with the family 
so that the, the elderly person doesn't have to be the reporter. I kind of thought that was brilliant. Are you seeing people do this? Uh, no, but that's a very interesting concept. I wonder how the doctors would would feel about that. Um, but we do on occasion, because we serve a lot of, of single individuals that have never married and have no children, that just seems to be um, a real need uh, in today's society. And from time to time, I will actually escort my client to the doctor and take notes and 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 put a memo in the file just to mark the progress or to mark um, some action that needs to be taken as a result of that doctor's visit. So I think that's an interesting concept. Um, we'll have to think about that one. Are there professionals that can help families? Tim, you mentioned that the, the family member may be out of town. And demographically, that is the norm. At least one, or if not most, of siblings won't live in the same city. And it's sometimes even rare until your parents really age that you even live in the city of your parents. Are there services, whether they be a social uh, social worker, a geriatric social worker, or a church annex group like Catholic um, Family Services, that can assist families in both identifying issues and helping them broach the subject? There are all sorts of resources out there that that are available, and no one resource is is right for everybody. The religious services are a are a great resource if that is something that that the families have been involved in and are comfortable with. Uh, there are also organizations such as such as Vivian's that can provide many levels of assistance based upon what your parent needs. Vivian, do you have social workers on staff, or is this something that you 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 coordinate with or, or associate no, with? Uh, but as a trust officer, we used to say we were a social worker for the wealthy. So I've got plenty of experience in in this area. Um, and I've got an incredible team, let me just mention that right now, that are compassionate, that care, that are super, super smart. And um, we do address um, these situations with out-of-town children quite a bit. And in fact, um, our processes and the way we produce the um, the reports are in such a fashion that it makes it very easy to electronically send those to out-of-state children so that everyone is on the same page and everyone understands what the goals are. And is, is that something that you both recommend, that the entire family, that everyone be involved in this kind of situation, helping elderly parents? Absolutely. As an attorney, the biggest issues that I find with respect to caring for an adult parent is a lack of communication among the children. And no matter what resources you choose to utilize, it is vitally important that all the siblings are aware of, of what the plan is and, and how that plan is being executed. And exactly how do you get siblings to cooperate? Because I have found, and I, I joked about this before the show, that when siblings start dealing with their parents, they revert back to their childhood dynamics. Well, that's a great question, Craig. And if I had the answer to that, I think I'd, I'd be on a national radio show. <laughs> I that, think that's ooh, that where, hurt. <laughs> I think that's where we say the serenity prayer. You know, there are some things we cannot control. And uh, you do your best to be a peacemaker uh, among many of the hats that you wear to uh, serve your client the best that you can. But there's some circumstances that you just can't. You can't resolve childhood issues. 
So let's get back to talking specifically about finances. Um, as Craig mentioned, I think early on, a lot of people of our parents' generation are very private about their money. They don't want to divulge anything. How do you get them or how do you encourage the adult children to start having that conversation so that the parents understand that they might need some assistance with their funds and the adult children just want to help? Well, Tim mentioned this a little bit earlier but I think, you know, again, being in constant contact with your parents, having a dialogue that's comfortable, um, I would recommend that if you're going to have a tough uh, discussion with your parents, that you do so in their home where they're comfortable. And just start with little things like, Mom, can I help you um, review the Medicare explanation of benefits or can I review a doctor's statement with you? For me, I get a lot of uh, calls from adult children saying, my mother's not going to hire you. She's not going to, I don't care what you do. But I, I don't know, when I meet someone and I just um, relate to them personally and find some common ground, um, put them at ease and let them know that you know we're all here to help them, a lot of times we get a more positive uh, result from that. I want to underscore something in your answer, which is interesting, which is sometimes a parent may be w more willing to talk to a third party than they would with their own children because they're worried their children are thinking, whatever they're thinking, that they're worried about their own inheritance, they're worried about their own families, they're struggling for whatever reasons. It is a rare family where the adult children, all of them are financially secure. And so there's lots of funny dynamics. Maybe having a third party help them makes it a little less difficult for the for the aging person. I think it does. In our experience, it certainly has. Um, again, when we provide reports to all the children and give them an opportunity to call us and ask questions, it takes the pressure off the, the, the client. They don't feel like um, they're being as scrutinized as maybe a child would be asking their mother, well, why did you spend money on this, or why did you make this charitable gift? Um, I just think it helps bring a neutral party to the situation and a kind of a, an arm's length. It also takes the pressure off because then it's not the kid's fault. Right. It's, it, and I think that's great. You are listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Today, your hosts are Craig Frankel and Millie Bombush from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. Our guests today are Vivian Wright with Common Sense Solutions and Tim Curtin with the Curtin Law Firm. And we are talking about ways to help mom and dad pay their bills, solutions from joint accounts to conservatorships. And so let's jump in. We've now identified or that our parents are starting to age, and we think as adult children that they have a need. What are the first options to help them along the way that are not the, the highest level where you now take control in some way? The first options are, are typically twofold, is the healthcare directive and a financial power of attorney. And they're two distinctly different documents. The healthcare directive has your parents appoint usually one person to be in charge of the healthcare decisions. And it's not taking any decision-making authority away from the parent, but it is allowing the adult child uh, to have access to medical records and to enable that child when necessary to, to talk with the parent's physicians. 
you say one person, I, I'm not advocating this, but is it possible to appoint more than one? Absolutely. You can appoint as, as many as you choose. And that is going back to your family dynamic situation. That that has to be a independent decision based upon your your client's situation. In a perfect world, though, you'd like the family to talk together and designate one person? I find that is the most workable solution. Otherwise, when there's decisions by committee, small decisions can can create problems where as if one person were making the decision, it would never become a problem. And also, if I might jump in here right quick, um, sometimes it's difficult to reach um, all of the fiduciaries that are listed in that uh, power of attorney. So sometimes it's not just not practical to have two or more code power of attorneys. And if you have two and they disagree, we had a standoff? Correct. You can be a loggerheads and and the document's not worth anything. And and you mentioned um, an agent for healthcare. What about the financial agent? The financial, before we get in there, and I apologize, a lot of people that I hear talking say they want a living will or they have a living will. And of course, Georgia doesn't really have that uh, uh, document anymore. So so explain to our listeners what the difference is or of a living will versus, which we no longer really have, versus a healthcare directive. The way I explain the Georgia healthcare directive is a combination of a power of attorney for healthcare and a living will. I, I refer to as the old living will as a static directive. It was a check the box form where you made your end of life decisions. The, the new document in Georgia, the advanced directive for healthcare, appoints a particular agent or agents to make healthcare decisions, and then also includes end of life decisions that your agent should be guided by, but is not necessarily bound to. And I think that's a much better workable solution than to have two separate documents, a healthcare power of attorney and a separate living will. Now let's go to Millie's questions about powers of attorney. Um, back to financial powers of attorney. Um, again, I assume you, you recommend just one agent, although you could have more. And in what cases is a power of attorney helpful? What does that do for an elderly person? I think a financial power of attorney is essential for everybody. And I, I refer to that as, as a lifetime document. I think it's important to keep in mind that there's a difference between a financial power of attorney and a last will and testament. The financial power of attorney is valid while the parent is alive and it terminates when the parent passes away. And the financial power of attorney gives somebody, an agent, an extreme amount of power over the principal's finances, over the parent's finances. So you have to be very careful who you, who you name as an agent to, to serve in this capacity. And the financial power of attorney can get complicated or, or it can be very simple. It can be an, a document where you immediately sign over to your child all of the rights that you have over your finances. Or it could be a, an agreement where, adult child, I'm giving you this, this power, but only if a doctor certifies that I'm no longer able to handle my finances. And there's, there's pluses and minuses in each column, depending how you want to approach the financial power of attorney. And it is the power of financial power of attorney kind of an all-purpose, perfect solution? Or what are the checks and balances that should be considered when drafting a power of attorney and when talking about it? That's a great question, Millie. The, going back to the, the communication and the, the relationship 
usually among the children of the parents is what's going to cause the problem. So if a parent is designated one child to, to serve as the agent, it is paramount that there's communication among the siblings. And I recommend even embedding in the finance power of attorney mandatory reporting requirements. For example, my parent has named me as, as the agent under the finance power of attorney. The first time I act on that, I need to notify my brothers and sisters that I'm acting on that. Oh my gosh, you've listened to my lectures. Uh, this, <laughs> is, this is actually a huge area of, of growth for problems with, with the elderly is that their assets are taken or, or misused by somebody, typically with the power of attorney early on. And the problem is lack of monitoring. And so I, I strongly suggest there's lots of mechanisms we can talk about them, how you can protect uh, and minimize the likelihood. And reporting is one of those those areas. Are there any other areas that we could use that might, without inhibiting or limiting the agent, make sure or kind of re, uh, comfort the principal, your parent, to know that, that, they're, that they're being protected? There are many things, and, and the document is as flexible as the parent wants to make it, you could have limitations on the, the dollar amount that can be expended. You could have specific accounting requirements that either other children are entitled to an accounting of every dollar that was spent in, in the parent's account. And when you talk about dollar limits saying, you know, small things are fine, but if you're going to sell the house or do a major event, there needs to be some advanced disclosure to somebody that is, that is competent that can at least object if it's inappropriate. Exactly. What about gifting? There'd be limits on, on gifting. So often we find under the power of attorney, it turns out that elderly parent gifted lots of money to the agent, uh, which is maybe contrary to a lifetime pattern of gifting equally to all children. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head, Millie. Look at the parents' previous choices regarding their charitable intent, their, their gifting to their children, and try to incorporate that type of language into the financial power of attorney to to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. And 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 let me remind everybody, all of our listeners, that the problem, the risk for a power of attorney is if you don't have some protections in place, by the time you find out, it's not fixable. So thinking about these and reassuring both the parent and the agents makes it easier and you kind of know what the rules are. Let, let's just take a step back. One of the other options that I see very often as an early uh, help to the parent is doing joint bank accounts where you put somebody signing on the bank account. How are you seeing these used either effectively or ineffectively? Well, in my experience, both as a trust officer and, and since I started my business in 2001, I've seen more problems personally with that than I have seen. Um, and let me explain. Let's say that you have um, one child that's joint on the checking account with the surviving parent, and you've got four more, three or four more siblings. And the estate plan um, dictates that you're to uh, distribute the estate equally among the children. But let's say, and this is not uncommon, in later years to have two, three hundred thousand in a bank account to care. Explain why that's not uncommon. Well, because um, as we age, our needs get greater. I mean, if you have a caregiving agency 24-7, that's probably around three to $3,500 a week. Um, medical equipment is expensive. 
um, the medications are expensive. So um, as we age, we do need more resources. Um, but let's say there is two to 300000 in a joint checking account. At death, the uh, surviving owner, by law, inherits that. And um, it, it skews the estate plan in some situations. Is there an alternative to having somebody on the bank account but not going to inherit from the bank? Yes, and the banks have gotten more savvy with this. Um, you can have a, um interested party on some financial institutions allow you to do that without actually being the owner. Um, the way I pre- um, prefer to serve, if I'm in the capacity of paying bills and we need to have direct access to the account, is we will use that financial institution's uh, form for power of attorney because it's quite often our client may choose to have one of their uh, children serve as a general durable power of attorney. So we don't want to interfere with that broader power. We just want to be able to access the account, ask questions, get statements, review for activity for suspicious and fraudulent um, transactions and uh, such as that, and even gain online access to monitor activity and transactions as the uh, legal representative in that capacity. That's a great solution, Vivian. Um, You are listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Millie Bombush from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. Today, our guests are Vivian Wright, president of Common Sense Solutions, and Tim Curtin with the Curtin Law Firm. And we are discussing helping mom and dad pay their bills, solutions from joint accounts to conservatorships. And I want to go I want to go to the next issue. But before we do, I want to mention a couple things about powers of attorney and bank accounts. It is a good idea. We have found when you want somebody to get access to a bank account, to use the bank's form, if you can, even if you already have a separate one and brokerage accounts, because they're very, very particular and they're worried about fraud. But I do want to tell our listeners there is an option to a joint bank account that banks forget because the way banks work is you come in at an entry level. And lots of banks are now starting to use that if you have a joint account, you kind of go up. But there is a joint account called a POA account. You have the right to write checks, but you are not the beneficiary. Mm -hmm. And the magic words for a, a joint account is joint account with rider survivorship. I'd suggest that you never use a joint account with rider survivorship and only use a POA account. We're all nodding our heads in agreement. Can I just address the power of attorney issue in banks sure. quickly? Um, because I serve in a lot, a lot uh, uh, for for a lot of my clients in that capacity. Because again, we serve a lot of single individuals with no family, and um, it's been my experience. If, if I've been named as um, a power of attorney to be proactive and actually go to the bank and submit the power of attorney, you have to um, submit the original document. They will make a copy and send it to the legal department of the institution. This could take anywhere from a week to 10 days to two weeks, depending on... Or two months. Or two months. So if you need to act quickly, you want to go ahead and have that document on file. Also, the legal department sometimes thinks they know more than the drafting attorney, which is always interesting. And they may question some of the provisions in the document. So you have time to clear up any misunderstandings 
um, so that when a crisis or a catastrophic event happens and you're you're asked to serve, you can act without delay. Craig, I think that the takeaway from that is what you pointed out is for the listeners is make sure it's a it's a POA account. And if even if you have an attorney or you get a financial power of attorney form from the internet that you fill out, make sure you check with the bank and see if they have their own power of attorney form. That's just a path of least resistance type of issue instead of arguing over your attorney's form. I want to make one other comment about powers of attorney. Then I want to talk about some other, want y'all to talk about some other issues. But the uh, one big issue in a power of attorney that uh, Vivian made me think of is some powers of attorney allow you to change beneficiaries of either life insurance policies or brokerage accounts or bank accounts. That is also a red flag. And so when you're thinking about powers of attorney, you might want to put some protections in that say you can only change it if it's treating if it's consistent with your estate plan or something else like that. But change of beneficiaries is is a big issue uh, among uh, the people that we see. Well, let's get to some other issues. So we've talked about ways to protect. We've talked about joint accounts. We've talked about powers of attorney. We've talked about talking to parents and maybe bringing somebody in a third party to talk to them. What else can we do that's a little bit short of taking over things? Well, um, in our company, we, we do a lot of uh, support to the elderly individual, primarily to allow them to stay in their home and to, and to remain as independent as they possibly can for as long as they can. And we do that by visiting our clients frequently. It could be uh, once a week for one uh, client. It could be once a month for another client. But just helping with those tasks that with age... Um, and our cognitive declines, um, that we can help with the little things that that can support them uh, where they, they don't quite are in the um, stage where they're completely unable to manage their affairs. When you say little tasks, give us an example of what some of those tasks may be. Well, it, you know, when you age, your, an, your, your eye-hand coordination diminishes. So a lot of times we will write checks for the client's signature. Um, if the client is amenable, we will we can get online access for them, and um, use that as a method to pay bills if they're um, comfortable with that. Um, but you know, th- we talk about that generation. We're very very um, responsible with their finances. They did balance their checkbook. You know, now we just um, use our mobile tablets or whatever to log in and we get a balance and we think, oh, I've got money left. But, you know, we help them uh, remember that they've got outstanding checks. We help them uh, give them peace of mind, telling them what the balances in all their accounts are and providing them with um, a net worth also monthly. It sounds to me like it's a security net. I I see with a lot of elderly that the short-term memory sometimes isn't as strong as it was, and they forget that they've paid a bill and may pay it twice or don't realize the due date. So having somebody come in on a regular basis and either pay or assist in paying seems to me, and I'd, I'd like to know your thoughts, as a way that really maintains their independence for a while, lets them continue to be alone without having somebody a family member perhaps intrude. Yes, and I can tell you from experience, um, Sandy Abrams, the CPA that you may well know, um, recommended a client to me that he'd been working with for years and years, an elderly man, legally blind, um, had some dementia, 
And the second week we worked with him, we discovered that his um, home had gone into the state where they were prepared to sell it on the courthouse steps because he had not paid his property taxes. What he'd done is he paid his beach house property taxes twice, but failed to pay his primary residence taxes. So that's a very good example of, you know, we're not power of attorney for this gentleman, but we're in monitoring his transactions and just happened to um, see an old notification that this action was going to take place and literally saved his house from being sold. What what happens um, in cases where the elderly parent isn't cooperative or doesn't want the help and the adult children can't seem to make any headway? What What's the, the next solution? Is there a solution of last resort? There there is. The solution of last resort is typically a conservatorship. And a conservatorship is when the probate court gets involved and it involves the essentially the filing of a lawsuit. And so it is a very extreme measure, but sometimes it's a necessary measure if the parents are completely uncooperative, unable to manage their own finances or, or personal decisions. And it's come to a, a point where somebody has to help or something tragic was, is going to happen in terms of the loss of a house or something like that. And let's talk about that. This is the first time that an independent person actually makes the final decision and can override, if they become the conservator, the parent. Otherwise, with powers of attorney or, or bill writing or joint accounts, they still retain the ultimate power to say no. That's correct, Craig. Any any adult until they are found by a court to be incompetent can revoke their power of attorney. They could assign a new agent under their financial power of attorney, and none of the adult children can do anything about that. And I just want to add too that we've talked a lot about communication among the children, but it's extremely important if you are serving as power of attorney that communicate with your client and keep them apprised of the action you're taking and keep them involved in your decision making even if they are unable to understand. We've had very many people that have ended, um, started in assisted living and went through the nursing, and we still went to see them. We still reassured them that their finances were sound, that their bills were being paid, just to give them some peace of mind. So I think that's extremely important too. Do you find in in most of the cases that you see that um, all these solutions we've been talking about will end up working and helping? How often do we have to go the conservatorship route? I find that um, very rarely do we have to go to that route. Now, sometimes it's advisable. The attorney advises that just to protect the situation just a little bit uh, more formally. Um, And one of those situations is when the parent is being um, the, the subject of financial abuse by third parties. Right. Where taking away the access to their bank account may stop the money from flowing to exactly less than reputable mm-hmm. people. And you guys have helped me with uh, with a client that we had that very situation and we did seriously consider, Millie, um, seriously had us consider a conservatorship in that situation, but we were able, with her help, to work through those, those challenges. Thank you, Millie. You're welcome. Um, Tim, how often do you... Um, find that conservatorships are something that you need to pursue for your clients? I think it's also 
rare as as you touched on it is it is and should be a method of last result because it is a lawsuit you are serving your parent with a lawsuit the sheriff will serve them with a lawsuit they have to be evaluated by a court appointed social worker or psychologist and it can be a traumatic experience for for your parent so it the the two most common situations i see are what Craig touched on if if there's financial abuse, then then you have to do that. You may have no option, or if the parent is simply no longer capable of managing the finances and their banks won't cooperate, and somebody has to take over and be given the authority to deal with the banks to to make those decisions for the parent. And I do want to mention that although guardianships are a lawsuit and they're being filed. Many, many times, frankly, the majority of times, all of the siblings are on the same page and it's not, it is more routine than it seems once you've gotten there. Where we seem to have problems is where siblings disagree or the parent is particularly vocal and still able to talk, but not necessarily competent. Or you have the situation where there are no power of attorneys in place and the the, the client nor the children realize how important those documents are to get to the point where the parent needs that kind of oversight and support. And it's too late. And it's too late. Let, let, me, yeah. let me mention one thing that we're seeing a lot more of that's going to become more and more problemsome, which is many of our clients and our peers think that because they have access to the bank account, they actually can do everything and that will solve the problem. I just want to remind our listeners that on any website, whether it be a bank or whether it be social media or anything else, there are privacy rules that you have to give authority. And if you fail to give authority and that authority only lasts as long as you're competent, there's certain rules. It's considered computer hacking. Mm-hmm. And particularly, and this is very important to our, our client, to our listeners, after a parent dies, you are no longer allowed access to the bank account. That's and many, many people use the PIN numbers and think this is okay, but once there's a problem, you are liable. That's right. And um, um, I'm a member of the American Association of Daily Money Managers, in fact, served on the board for, for several, several years of this up-and-coming um, industry. And I can't tell you how many times I've lectured at our conferences, please, please, please do not use your clients' online access. You've got to have your own um, online access through legal means of serving with a uh, legitimate power of attorney and that's registered with that account. Um, that's a huge, huge no-no. And that protects both the ward Absolutely. and it protects the other siblings to know what's going on. Absolutely. Let me ask one sort of overall question. The, the solutions that we've been talking about, are they applicable to families with all levels of wealth or do you talk about different solutions for people of modest means versus different solutions for people who have greater resources? I think everybody needs a healthcare directive and a financial power of attorney. I find that some clients of more substantial means are interested in creating trusts while they're alive. And the trusts do give individuals, trustees, more flexibility than an agent has under a financial power of attorney. It is also a situation where you have to have some difficult talks with the person who's creating the trust 
because in order to really make it work, you may need a mechanism that somebody else decides that you can't handle your own finances anymore. That, that can be a tough conversation and it can be tough to get somebody to agree to that. What about you, Vivian? Well, I found it's, it's a great um, vehicle, the revocable trust, because many times institutions will recognize a trust as being prepared by an attorney and it's a more formal um, arrangement that seems to be more respected uh, many times than a power of attorney document. So I think it's a, it's a good solution in many, many cases. It also, as we know, avoids probate and allows you to deed homes and residence, vacation homes in Highlands or, or, or maybe down in Ponte Vedra to be in that revocable trust. And you can manage all the assets uh, administratively a lot uh, more practically. A little word of warning. Um, many, many people, the lawyers do beautiful trust, but the assets don't get transferred. Absolutely. So we I always agree. we always have those problems. Let me kind of review what we've learned today uh, and then because we're nearing the end. So we've talked about talking to your parents early and often. We've talked about trying to learn about their finances and get them to make lists prior to need. We've talked about using joint bank accounts with a preference for a power of attorney account. We've talked about bill writing and helping along with the bills and having a professional come in. We've talked about using powers of attorney, but we've cautioned that they really need to have fair kind of monitoring issues. We've heard recommendations that everybody, everybody needs a healthcare directive, whether you have children or not, and a power of attorney at some point. We've talked about using trust that may alleviate some of the problems. And we've talked about when necessary conservatorships. And these are really good things to think about. My question really is, if you had one piece of advice that you could give each of us when we're looking at our parents and our clients to know when we should start or when we should continue doing things, what's your advice? Start with Tim. I think you start now and you start slowly. You have a frequent communications. Remember that these are your parents. Even though you might be 40 or 50 years old, you are still their children. Be patient with them. Don't let their their rebuffs alienate you. Be persistent. And I would I would echo that, and also um, use an abundance of patience. Um, remember their dignity, and uh, consider above all else what is best for them. What's in their best interest. We have greatly appreciated the advice you've given us, Vivian and Tim. Um, and I'd like each of you just to tell our listeners um, your contact information, websites, social media, et cetera, for people who want to know more about you. Let's start with you, Tim. Sure. Thanks, Millie. My law firm, Curtin Law Firm, is in the Buckhead District of Atlanta. You can visit my website at www.curtinlaw.net. No A's in the curtains. And you can call me at 404 404- Two six two zero two nine zero. I'd be happy to speak with anybody who has any additional questions about the topics that we discussed today. And Vivian, how can yes. our listeners reach you? Yes, our website is www.comsense, and that's spelled C-O-M-S-E-N-S-E dot biz, B as in baby, I-Z as in zebra. And our phone number is 404 404- Well, as we're wrapping up our show today, I want to thank everybody for listening to Wealth Matters, 
where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. For more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our new website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Vivian Wright with Common Sense Solutions and Tim Curtin with the Curtin Law Firm. And we've talked about aging parents and how we can help them with their finances from joint accounts to conservatorships. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm-hmm.